Hello and welcome to Faithbrook. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I wanna give a special welcome to those of you who have maybe joined in for, maybe this is your very first time or maybe you've been around for a few weeks. Either way, I just wanna say welcome to Faithbrook. In fact, I wanna encourage you to pull out a mobile device right now and go to faithbrook.church forward slash guest. Or for those of you who are on site, you can go and pull out this blue connection card in the seat back in front of you. If you would fill this out, you can put it into the giving box as you leave the worship center. Now, whether you submit a physical or digital connect card, a couple things will happen. First, we would donate $5 to Cross Food Shelf, and this is just a small way that we hope to make a huge impact in our community to help those in need. And second, I would love the opportunity to follow up with you and connect with you, and thank you for joining in. So I look forward to making that donation and connecting with you. Well, our vision here at Faithbrook is to be a church who lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you have said yes to following Jesus, maybe in the last couple months, or maybe even in the last year, and you're looking to take a next step in your faith. Well, baptisms might be that next step. Baptism is the outward expression of the inner work that Jesus is doing in your heart. And this is a great opportunity to do just that. In fact, coming up on April 24th, we are having baptism. So if you are interested, maybe even you were an adult and you were baptized as an infant, and now you are recognizing you're wanting to make this new profession of faith as an adult, baptism is perfect for you. So the best place to sign up and maybe even check out more details is to go to the church center app. You could download it from your app store. It takes just a few moments to get set up. And when you do, you just go down to the bottom, tap on events, scroll down and click on baptism, and you can find all the information you need. And in fact, if you want to take that next step, just fill out the short form and a pastor will follow up with you. I look forward to celebrating with you and everyone else on Baptism Sunday on April 24th. Well, in just a few moments, we're gonna welcome out our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we wrap up our series. How many of you grew up um, with a garden in your backyard? I was one of those kids in the suburbs of Kansas City where my parents uh, took a lot of pride in their large garden. I don't know if they were just trying to save money, feed their three kids, but I remember every spring they would be tilling up this, it must have been a 20 by 50 long garden, and they would just uh, toil in there and get it all looking good. I can remember there's, there's tomato section, the cucumber section, and there's carrots and pretty little rows, and pretty soon they'd be springing up and there'd be fruit and harvest. It was a wonderful, beautiful garden. But by the end of the season into fall, it didn't look the same. It, it was kind of wilting and changing colors and holes in the ground. It, it was like entirely two different gardens. Well, we're going to talk about gardens this morning in just a second, but I just want to welcome you on behalf of our church. So good to have you here on Palm Sunday. Maybe you're viewing us, uh, worshiping with us. Uh, thank you. Uh, man, did you, did you see that mysterious uh, visitor the last couple days? Did you see it? It's called the sun, right? We haven't seen that for a while. Help us, Jesus. Um, but it's good to be in the house of God today. Well, 
God also experienced a couple of different gardens. And the first garden that God experienced was a garden that he created called the Garden of Eden. If you go in the very first books of the Bible, Genesis, you'll see that God created heaven and earth. And in this heaven, earth, and creation, he created this special, beautiful, divine garden called the Garden of Eden. Archaeologists tell us that they've kind of identified where that garden is. It's in modern-day Iraq uh, by the river Euphrates. They believe that's where uh, civility started, civilization with Adam and Eve. And God had such a, a dream for humanity, not only creating all of nature and the birds and the animals, but he wanted to give this special uh, garden and relationship with human beings, that there would be a perfect relationship with God, that human beings could walk to earth and there'd be no shame, there would be no hurt, there would be no um, uh, damage in their lives. In fact, they, they were walking around nude and, and God was in the presence and they would, God said, be fruitful, uh, multiply, enjoy, take care of creation and the environment. But God gave them the gift of love. God says, I don't want you to just be robots, but what's going to identify you different than the animals is that you're going to have a soul. You're going to be created in my image, for I am spirit and I am love, and love has to have a choice. So you're going to have the ability to choose to love me, and you're going to have the ability to know from right and wrong, and there's going to be a a conscious put in you. And so here was Adam and Eve placed in this beautiful garden with a perfect ideal relationship with God, and in this garden there was a couple of trees. Now, the first couple chapters share that there was a tree of life. Some scholars believe that there just wasn't one tree of life, but all the trees were trees of life. They were life-giving. This is where they were uh, finding their nourishment, and they were gardening and and, uh, feeding their children the tree of life. But there was also another tree that the first couple chapters in Genesis talk about, and that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God gave Adam and Eve a warning. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In other words, I want you to enjoy the rest of this beautiful garden because you want to, not because you have to. So I'm going to put one tree, and this represents kind of the, the, the evil one, and don't partake of that tree. But man, be blessed. Enjoy the rest of the garden. Well, Some of you know that in chapter 3 of Genesis, Eve starts being tempted. She starts checking out this this tree of knowledge that's good and evil. There is Satan represented in a serpent, a snake, and he starts dialoguing with Eve and, and, you know, tempting her. Hey, doesn't doesn't that fruit look pretty good? And he's like, yeah, that that, that does look delicious, you know. And uh, Eve's like, yeah, but God told us not to to eat or take of this fruit because if we will, we'll die. And and the serpent starts, oh, you you really think that's true? You know, I I don't think that's true. And starts manipulating and deceiving like he usually does. And and he says, you know, God doesn't want you to partake of this fruit because if you partake of this fruit, then you're going to see what he sees. He's going to know what you know. And, And, you know, inside you, don't you want to be God yourself? So just go for it. Partake of this fruit, and then you will be like God. Well, you know the rest of the story. Um, Eve partook of the fruit, and then he called her husband over. Uh, Adam, you got to check this out. Adam takes the fruit, and immediately their eyes were 
open. They were, their eyes were open into their nakedness and their shame and their sin against God. They immediately knew that there was an awkwardness, that there was an offense, and there was a separation with God. And because of Adam's disobedience, the first man, he was doomed, along with himself, but the entire humanity was doomed. We call it the fall. And the cycle of sin and decay was etched in the DNA of every human. And we see this showing up with dysfunction and conflict and hurt and damage. God was so heartbroken that he says, there has to be a consequence. I told you, please don't eat of that tree. And because if you did now, you're going to be exiled out of the Garden of Eden. You will never be able to come back. And for the rest of your life, you're going to have to work hard. Women, you're, you're going to go through some excruciating pain in childbirth. Nothing's really going to be easy. And then there's going to be disasters. There's going to be heartbreaks. And we see in chapter 4 of, of Genesis where their sons got into it. And there was the first murder of, of Cain killing his brother Abel. And there was God. His heart was broken. Adam failed. Adam did not stand up to temptation. And now there was sorrow there was corruption, and that corruption and selfishness and stubbornness would, would spread throughout the other humans that would be growing throughout the world. In fact, we see later on a couple more chapters in Genesis that God was so frustrated with his creation and his humanity. He says, you know what, I'm going to des- destroy every one of you. Nobody wants to pay attention to me. Nobody wants to obey and, and glorify me, and so I'm, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm just going to destroy it, but I'm going to give you a way out because God's love was always there. God's love would always make a way out. And so he found a a builder, Noah, and said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth, and you need to tell the people. And I need you to start building this gigantic boat to collect the animals and collect anyone who would believe me and and come aboard, aboard the boat, the ark. And so there was Noah for 100 years. He's building and he's telling the people. They're laughing at him, saying, ah, we can do it ourselves. We don't need God. Here's a foolish old man building that big old boat outside the city. Sure enough, it starts raining. And sure enough, it started pouring, and it started flooding. And by the time people woke up and said, this is for real, we're in jeopardy, God's way, the door was closed. And almost everyone perished, except a very few, mostly Noah's family, that believed and were saved. Because God would always have a way to save his people for those who would believe, those who would repent, those who would come to him. Eventually, after 40 days, the land, would, uh, the water would start receding and start drying, and there was the ark beached on Mount Ararat. Moses got out with his family, and what did he discover was a beautiful, gigantic rainbow. It was a symbol and a covenant to not only Noah, but mankind that never again will I destroy the earth. Never again. And so start over, start multiplying. And, and the humans and mankind started multiplying and, and growing. And, and pretty soon, a couple chapters later in Genesis, we see against again, they got, they got stiff-necked. They're like, man, we don't need God. We can do it ourselves. Someone came up with the idea and said, man, we can, we can get to heaven. We can get to the stars. Let's just build a great tower, a, a monument tower that we, so we can reach God, be God. And so the Tower of Babel was starting to be erected. And there was God, frustrated brokenhearted again. Instead of just killing them all and destroying mankind again, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to discipline you. And he brought down a curse that was scattered all the people from the four corners of the earth with different languages and different um, uh, cultures. And, and there would be conflict and wars and problems. 
because man continued to try to be God themselves. But God, in his amazing love, would never give up on them. His love would always be there. He was always looking for the person that would see him and believe him and trust him and follow him. And there was one man he, he found. His name was Abram. He looked at his heart and saw that his heart was soft towards him and uh, willing towards him. And he, and he started to speak to Abraham. Abram, I'd like to start a new nation. People that follow me. People that would reflect me and love me and, and, and live in holiness with me. And Abram, I, I think you're the man. I'm going to build a new nation, a new family through your seed. In fact, you have no idea, but this, this nation is going to multiply to, to the point where they're going to be so large, it'll be more than the sands on the sea. Will you trust me? Abraham said yes, and God changed his name to Abraham, and he would be the legendary Father Abraham. But the family did not come as fruitful through him and Sarah as they thought, and so the dream of God and Abraham was passed down to their sons Isaac and then the Jacob, eventually Joseph, where the family, the people of Israel, some call them the Jews, were now kind of stuck in Egypt. And there the, the prideful, egotistic, dominator Pharaoh would use the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen nation, to build his empire on their back. It was brutal. The Bible tells us that eventually God would hear their cries. Oh, God, deliver us. But God would need a person, a man that would step up and say, help deliver my people. And he found a qualified guy on the backside of the desert named Moses. He approached Moses with the burning bush. Moses is like, man, I'm not your man. I don't know what you're talking about. But God says, yes, you, you're better than you think. I need you. I can use you. And so eventually Moses said, I'm in. And Moses would go back and confront a Pharaoh. Eventually, Pharaoh would break, and God would bring about the, the epic ex- exodus through the, the parting of the Red Seas. And miracle after miracle, and God promised them, I want to take you to a promised land. I'm going to take you to a place of flowing with milk and honey, and there you're going to be prosperous. There you're going to raise your kids. There you're going to love me and obey me, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be mighty. But again... The, the tarnish and the curse from the fall of, of Adam was constantly in people. And constantly, they would not believe, they would not trust, or they would get in fights, and they would disobey, and, and God would have to discipline again. And, but eventually, the people would make it to the promised land. There would be great days, and it would be wonderful. But again, sin, the sinful nature, selfishness, conflict would show up and disobedience and so, and so God's heart was always there and God would bring him governors and kings and great kings to help him comply and stay in his boundaries of love and when that didn't work he would bring judges and be a little bit harsher eventually they'd be exiled but God's love was always there and he'd try different things and he'd bring the law some some restrictions and follow me and here's kind of the rules and when that didn't work he brought spiritual uh, leaders like prophets speak to the people preach to the people and the prophets were but still there was an emptiness there was a hollowness because the law never motivated people the the judges and the kids kings had a hard time motivating people and like a frustrated earthly father who loves his kids so much, and yet the kids don't see it. The kids ignore the love. The kids disobey the the earthly father. That was God. But all along, God knew that he would need to send his son to break the back of sin. And out of his passionate, 
sacrificial love, he would send himself. Finally, at the very right time in the New Testament, it says an angel shows up to this engaged couple, Mary and Joseph. Joseph finds that his fiance is, is with child and he's overwhelmed and mad and frustrated. And the angel comes to him and, and says these words. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. Because God always had a plan. His love would never stop. Joseph, you need to take her. You need to give him this baby the name Jesus because here's the plan. It started in the first garden of Abraham failing and and breaking. But I'm going to bring myself to save the people from their sins. Because sin is destroying mankind and destroying each other. Now what's interesting when Jesus came, that he was, he was created not from an earthly father, but from God. He was the second person that was created without an earthly father. The first one was Adam. So it was Adam in the first garden, created from God. The second Adam, if you will, created from God. And Adam would be the face of humanity, but Jesus would be the face of God. Jesus would eventually grow up to be a young man. The, the Bible tells us at the age of 30, he started his public ministry. And one of the first things he did to start his public ministry is he went public with water baptism. He had his cousin, John the Baptist, baptize him that I'm all in. I'm, I'm God's man and began that ministry. He traveled and he would serve and he would model and he would teach. And there was incredible miracles that were happening in his little life. And eventually after three years, he would enter into a second garden. This garden wasn't like the first garden. This garden was a little different. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. Because Jesus would find himself in a crisis. Jesus had done all that he could to teach and model and share that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He would model for his, his disciples and his people, this is how we serve, this is how we love, this is God's heart and his nature. But he knew that eventually, maybe just a couple of hours, a couple of minutes, he would be betrayed. And he knew where he was heading. He would tell his disciples, we need to go and pray. My heart is heavy. And they would cross, go out of Jerusalem and across the valley. And there was the Mount of Olives. And in that, the large mountain, there was one place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that Garden of Gethsemane was, was a grove of olive trees that would be harvested. The word Gethsemane is derived to, to, from two Hebrew words. Gat, which means the place of pressing. And Shemanan, which means oils. So there's a pressing of the oils. Now, in Jesus' day, that, that garden or that mount, it, it was critical for olive oil was, was part of everyday life uh, to cook and, and to, to use for ointments. And so there had to be a procedure. And everyone knew that they would they'd pick those olives and put them on the stone slabs. And then there was this mammoth slab that would come down on the, the olives. And, and the, the pressure and the weight of that stone would would press onto those olives and the the oil would would remove itself from the pulp and eventually would drip down into vats and eventually be collected in in jars for consumption 
But it was this process of squeezing and pressing. And that's where the Garden of Gethsemane got its name. And that's where Jesus chose to go pray. Because Jesus realized he would be under pressure. He would be squeezed for our sins and in our life. And in this garden, we, we see the account of the, the Gospels wrote about the agony he was going through. Over here was, was the temptation to let his flesh um, um, conquer. And, and, and he would be making maybe deals with God. If there's any way that, that this cup can pass, is there any way, any else, other way that men would be motivated and there would be redemption for mankind? Kind of reminds of, of the, the snake that was in the grass in the first garden tempting resisting over here was his divine love that says i must come through i must prevail i must go forward and and there was this agonizing time luke says that, that he was crying so much and pleading for his life and and wrestling with god that his his tears turned into uh, drops of blood the agony was so intense this, this pressing this squeezing for our sake the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before that, would prophesize about this agony, a picture of our Christ when he says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was our sin. It was Adam's sin. It was, it was our brothers and sisters' sin that was laid and pressed on Jesus in that second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, through all this, he comes to the point of victory. He comes to the point of surrender. He comes to the point of, of a decision that would be pit, pinnacle and pivotal for all of us when he said, not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine. See, someone would have to win the day. Someone would have to go forth because our punishment, someone would have to pay for our sins through a, a, a sacrifice if we were going to be justified before a holy God, something has to be covered. Something has to be atoned for. God is so holy, he just can't hang out with, with unholy, sinful things. There has to be a, a, a victory, a righteousness, an atonement. He, he can look upon us, but he can't reside. And we cannot reside with God unless there is a, a reconciliation, an atonement for our sins. And that's what his blood on the cross did that it was deep enough and rich enough and divine enough to cover for our sins that we could be right with God, justified with God, because he would pay the price on the cross. You know, it was interesting that when Adam got in the first garden, he, he, when he wrestled with temptation, he gave in and said, well, my will be done. But when Jesus went into his garden, he said, your will be done. Done. It's the tale of two gardens and two men. You know, we see in the Bibles that that evening, Judas would come and eventually betray him, point him out. He would be arrested, hauled off, falsely accused, brutally interrogated, flogged, mocked, abused, humiliated, and eventually he'd be forced to carry the cross to the hill called Golgotha. The locals knew it was called Golgotha because that was the hill of the skull. It looked like, looked like a skull. Modern days we call it Calvary. He would be taking the cross to Calvary. And there the Roman soldiers would 
nail him to the cross, to pierce his bones and his skin. Again, the Isaiah prophesied about this picture when he wrote, he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Why would God allow himself to go through that agonizing, horrific crucifixion? Why would he have to do that? Because he wanted us to have peace, and he wanted us to be healed. Isn't it true that a lot of times we don't have peace, especially with God? Isn't it true there's a lot of damage in our souls and in our mind? And God's amazing love so loved us that he's willing to come that we could be healed, that we could have peace, that our broken relationship with God, just like Adam, when we sinned against God, when we wanted to be God ourselves and we thought we could do it better, that he'd be willing to die on the cross so our spiritual relationship could have healing and peace. God wanted to heal our damaged minds and emotions. Everyone has been given a, a, a false story and, and hurting from, and from childbirth. And, but God says, I can heal you, not only spiritually, but emotionally, to make you whole and alive, to give you joy and peace in your life. He realized that there would be relationships that were broken and humans would be hard on each other and there would be damage, especially in close relationships. But God says, I'm going to make a way. They give you the ability to learn how to forgive. They give you the ability through my spirit to help you to serve one another, to understand one another, maybe be tolerant to one another. God looked all of humanity and saw the brokenness of society and civilians. There was war and crime and selfishness and bitterness and, and hate and the discrimination. And God says, I'm going to earth. I'm going to go to the cross that there might be peace and there could be healing. I would submit to you this morning that there's no greater love than what God did on the cross when he was willing to say, not my will, but thy will. I think the Apostle Paul tried to explain this to the church of Corinth in chapter 15 when he said, for since death came through a man, uh, noting Adam, Adam brought the death, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, speaking of Christ. For as Adam all died, because Adam blew it, we've all been cursed with a sinful nature, nature. So in Christ, here's our hope, all will be made alive. Not only alive for eternal life, amen, but we can be alive today and God can heal us and God can restore us. God for, can forgive us that we can live with no condemnation and be free in him, our heavenly father. Through it all, we learn this major fact right here. Where Adam failed, Jesus prevailed. Where Adam failed, Jesus prevailed. See, the first man walked out of that garden with shame. He failed. The second man, Christ, walked out of his garden with honor. The first man gave into his temptations. The second man, Christ, stood up to the temptations. I'm always um, inspired by that. The movie, The Passion, many years ago, Mel Gibson uh, 
made that incredible movie uh, called The Passion by Christ and his uh, crucifixion. And, and there, this, this, this dramatic scene of, of Christ wrestling for redemption and mankind seeing uh, sin in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he's praying through, and, and finally he comes to that epic, pivotal statement, decision, not my will, but thy will. And Jesus gets up. And, and Gibson pans the camera down to his feet in the back of his heels. And there is this slippery little serpent crawling up to Jesus. And all of a sudden, on a close-up, that heel rises up and comes down and crushes the head of the snake, the serpent. It's a reference to the first garden where the snake was there tempting. And, this, and maybe Satan was there in the second garden tempting and, and asking Jesus, don't do it. But then Jesus, on our behalf, he came through. And he said, uh-uh, not this time. You're not going to win this time, devil. I'm going to destroy you. And we see on the cross, his last words, it is finished. That God said, I've done the work that we could be free. Hallelujah. See, we cannot stop his love. We could not stop his sacrifice. That should change us. That should, should move us to appreciate him more, and to love him more, and to live for him more, and to live like him more. You know, my, my parents' garden, it was so pretty at the beginning of the spring. They would till it and water it, and it was beautiful. But like I said, at the end of the season, it was a different type of garden. It was used up. It, it was burnt up. It was all fading, and there was holes. There were things where it was kind of ugly. My friends, that's what Jesus did. He was willing to be used up. He was willing to, to go forth, and it wasn't a pretty scene for us when he went through that procedure and eventually died on that cross. It's because he so loved us, no greater love. You know what's interesting when you think about these gardens and, and that first tree at the very beginning, the tree of life, did you know at the very end of the Bible, that same mention of the tree of life is brought up? In fact, in Revelation 22, it says on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit for each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In other words, God will bring back the Garden of Eden. In fact, in the last portions of Revelation, it says that there will be heaven on earth. See, I believe that the Garden of Eden was heaven. There was perfect relationship with God, God's presence. There was no sin. There was no heartbreak. There was no tears. There was no problems. And that's what heaven's going to be like. And eventually, the Bible says that God's going to restore this earth, this, this physical earth, and it's going to be heaven on earth, the Garden of Eden with the tree of life and rivers. So this week, I encourage you to take time to appreciate his decision that changed the world. Where Adam failed, God prevailed. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to participate this Friday from 6 to 8 at your leisure to come, and we're going to offer you a uh, good Friday experience. There's going to be six or seven stations that you, by yourself or your family, can just kind of pause at and reflect. There's going to be some interactive parts with each statement to just kind of embrace and experience what Christ 
went through on that Good Friday. So you're welcome to come anytime between 6 and 8 and just kind of maneuver on your own in a more reverent, solemn uh, place. And, and it'll be a great way to just kind of um, lean in to the sacrifice and the love of Christ. So why don't you stand with me? We'll close in prayer, and then you'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we just, just kind of pause our life right now to reflect on the amazing love. There's no greater love. We remember this morning the first garden where Adam failed and broke your heart. And for the rest of, of humanity, there's been heartbreak, disasters, sin, and death. But God, you came to a second garden, and you were willing to lay down your life and to prevail with God's will being done. Help us in view of that, God, to recalibrate our lives, to live more like you, to live for you, that people could see authentic people that were willing not to live for ourselves, but to live for you. Help us to love you. Help us to love others and journey together. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Thanks for viewing, worshiping, and coming today. You're dismissed.